Welcome to Kapwa Conversations, a podcast that amplifies the voices of Filipino, Philippinex folks in the health and wellness space. We use the indigenous wisdom of Kapwa, or shared inner self, to connect, inspire, and remember that we are all connected. If you enjoy this episode, please give us a five-star rating and write us a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps others find the show and be in Kapwa together. You can also help spread the word by sharing today's episode on social media and tagging us on Instagram at kapwa.yoga. Without any further ado, here's today's conversation. Please welcome Chloe. Hi, Chloe. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me, Paul. <laughs> Thank you for being in conversation. It's really nice to see you again. I know it's been a little while since we were both in Ugnayan together, which was... Um, yeah, that was like two, two months ago. Two months ago at this time. Yeah, we're having this conversation in October. So, yeah. How have you been since then? How are... How are things landing for you these days? After Ignaya, it was a little bit slow. I had a little bit of like a, a slow period after Ignaya, but um, things started to pick up again. I started, I had a few like dance gigs in the last few weeks and I'm having a few more coming up, which has been really nice to get back into that because I've just been dancing like at home by myself for the last six months. And the gigs, I'm, I'm still by myself for the most part. But it's been nice to work with other people and just to be performing again, even if it's just me to have something to perform for people to perform to. So it's been really cool. But I've been well, yeah, just doing the thing, teaching, dancing, trying to keep busy. (laughs) I'm wondering how the performances have been for you like what type of themes have come up or what kind of settings I know some of the performances I've seen lately have been pre-recorded and then there's a viewing on something like zoom but I'm not sure if that's the same type of format that you're doing lately yeah so that, that that's, that's basically what it is like one of the gigs that I worked on was in collaboration with um Rizal Moon at the park, so it, it, with the with the tourism department, just raising awareness in tourism for uh, Lunetta Park and Rizal Park, and that was really cool. I got to work with this percussion duo, the Hernandez Brothers, and they were really awesome to work with. It was a really cool collaboration, and that was done outside, and so we recorded that, and then it was shown a week later on Zoom, and then we, we streamed it on Facebook Live. Then we had we had a talk back after, so that was really fun. And the other one that I did was like a proper like film video sort of thing. So we, and we were in this like warehouse, the director is pretty well known here. So it'll be a cool thing to have. And yeah, I have a couple more like things like modeling for a fashion line and, and things. Oh, like that. So, yeah. <laughs> look at you. Nice. Is that something that you've been doing in the past too, is modeling? I've done it for, yeah, I've done it a little bit, just like with friends. I I have a couple of friends here who have like fashion lines and yeah, they've had me come model for them. And I think that's really cool. I've always been interested in the relationship between like dance and fashion. Like I think dancers make the best models. I think, you know, with our movement, we wear clothes very well. So (laughs) I've always been interested in that. Yeah. There's a lot of that body awareness and Mm -hmm. yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. I guess. make clothes look really cool. (laughs) Yeah, I, I used to do that or, you know, pre-pandemic, used to do that with some <laughs> of my friends here who had their own brands too. Yeah, I hope to do that again sometime. Yeah, because it's just so so much fun to see, you get to hear the stories that they, that inspire them to create their designs. And then you kind of bring that to life and add movement to it. Yeah. And yeah, it's it can just be really fun. <laughs> Yeah, I'm wondering too, I guess to backtrack how your dance and movement journey has been because 
it's been pretty unique where I know now you're in Manila and that's where you're usually based, but you also went to NYU Tisch for school here in New York, which is where I'm based and then are back in um, Manila now. And I'm wondering what that perspective was like for you being an artist in Manila and being an artist here and being, I, and you did your yoga training, I believe here in New York too. Yes. Yeah. So I'm wondering what that kind of, or we would say bi-coastal if you were in New York, LA. So I guess you'd be bi-continental or bi- <laughs> <laughs> Literally on like the other ends of the world. Yeah. Yeah. So it's been interesting because I, I grew up here in Manila so I, I received like, all of my foundational dance training here. And then I only went to New York for college. So I was 18 when I left. And that was a really interesting experience because I do consider myself to be like Filipino-American, but I guess my perspective is different because I, I was born in the U.S., but I grew up here. But my parents were very Americanized. They lived in the U.S. for close to 20 years before coming back to the Philippines. And we, we were only supposed to be in the Philippines for like a little bit. They, they initially intended for us to be raised in, in the U.S., but I don't really know what happened there. <laughs> I think my siblings and I protested, like, no, we want to stay here, and then my parents gave in. But they still raised us with a very, like, American perspective. So I, I do feel very Filipino-American, even though I grew up here for the most part. Yeah, it was really interesting going to New York for the first time was the first time I'd ever really felt like other, I suppose. <laughs> so that was that was an interesting thing to experience. Um, because being over here, like obviously I am Filipino, so people don't treat me very differently, but then going to the US, oh, this is what it's like to to not be in the majority. That was that was a an interesting thing to go through, like a like a huge culture shock, I suppose. Like even though I I'd spent a lot of time in the US growing up, actually living there for six years, like it was definitely a culture shock, which I didn't expect. I thought I'd be able to assimilate a little bit. How was that in in New York specifically coming here and going to school and having your training continue here in in that kind of space where you're saying that you started to feel othered? It was really cool, actually. I mean, I I want to start off by saying that I'm super grateful for my time and my training in the U.S. I think going to NYU Tisch really opened up a whole other world of dance for me. Like there, like I, I didn't, I really wasn't familiar with contemporary dance, like outside of like, so you think you can dance? Like that was my, that was like my only real exposure to like contemporary dance. Like here I studied like classical ballet, modern and jazz. And modern and contemporary, they're kind of different, right? And so going to Tish, and that was like my first real like dive into contemporary. And that's where I fell in love with it. But it was just, it was a lot. Like I, I didn't realize just how much there was in the dance world to see. Like I think like, Prior to going to Tish, my, my dance world was like this big. And then like going to Tish, it expanded tenfold. And I mean, that was, when I, that was where I was first introduced to improv and also like yoga. I, I first got my taste of yoga at Tish. So it really, it really just opened up a whole other world. And even like somatics, mm. that sort of thing. Like that was when I really became interested in like the body. I, I never really was interested in it beforehand. And so it really just opened up a whole world where all the things that I'm interested in now, I can fully um, attribute to my time at Tish. What was that first yoga experience like when that, that door opened to you? You know, I didn't really like it or I didn't really get it at first. I think it leaned more towards like restorative yoga. And at the time I was just like, ah, I don't really get it. Like I don't really understand what's supposed to be happening here. When I first like really got into yoga was when I started practicing at yoga to the people <laughs> interesting thing to talk about now and yeah. I did my first training with yoga to the people as well my first like two trainings actually so they're vinyasa based yeah right? power yeah. vinyasa so I guess like as a dancer that that style that was more like active really resonated with me and I think like at the time I was really focused on getting stronger like that's not something I realized I had to do until I got to college like no one ever told me that I had to like be strong and athletic as well as like flexible. And so, yeah, the, the power vinyasa style really resonated with me and it just felt like a, a good um, complement to my dance training. Like I, I definitely started getting stronger from doing yoga. So 
Nice. Yeah. I feel like in that way, we've had a similar path where my experience with yoga was the stretch day or the rest day, even though it's yeah. not, even though it was a, it was a hot yoga class or it was a, a, a traditional vinyasa class. And that's not really a rest day. <laughs> yeah. What was that experience like? The difference you experienced from being a student to becoming a yoga teacher, how was that transition for you? So, okay, I'm going to be completely honest. Like when I did my yoga teacher training, it was more for the reason of like, this is just something I could do on the side to make money while I start my dance career. Like me becoming a yoga teacher didn't start off as like a passion thing. It was just like, oh, this is something that I can do to make money while I like start my dance career after I graduate. If I'm being completely honest. And then it totally grew from there into like something that I'm really passionate about, but it didn't start off that way. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm very appreciative of the transparency. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta be honest, you know? Yeah, I mean, at least for me, it was the other way around because I came to yoga or I started to take it seriously after I had an injury and then mm. saw the philosophical restorative benefits of be of moving mindfully and i'm wondering then where maybe that inflection point was for you where it switched from i'm gonna do this as my side hustle and then to now where i have a, a kind of philosophy that i want to share about this practice so that happened actually during training and it has a lot to do with why I stopped dancing. So during my 200 hour training, like again, it started off as a side hustle and then like somewhere along the way after like unpacking and un unpacking stuff, that's when I realized I had to take a break from dancing because I just realized that my relationship to dance was very um, flawed. And I just had a lot of issues that I had been pushing aside in the past, like issues related to like body image and eating disorders and things like that, that I had spent the last like five years just kind of like pushing off to the side and not really dealing with, especially throughout college. Um, like I knew early on in my journey, in, in my journey at Tisch, that there was something not right with what I was experiencing and like, and, but I, again, I just like, pushed it off to the side and then you know, it's a during yoga teacher training, like things just come out of you and you just have to confront those things that you, that you haven't wanted to deal with in a long time. So that was at some point during training, I, I realized that this is something that I actually have to deal with like now before I even start my, I, I can't start my dance career if I don't deal with these things first. So let me take a break from that. And then from taking a break from dance, that's when my relationship to yoga really blossomed. That's when I started to really get more into the philosophy behind it. And yeah, so that was the inflection point for me, was taking a break from dance and then just diving more into the yoga practice. Yeah, and I, I don't know if you're comfortable with it, are you open to sharing where some of those relationship to body and dance come from? And I'm wondering if Filipino, Filipinx identity or navigating predominantly white art space um, as a Filipino, Filipinex person, if that had anything to play into the self-image as well. The issues with a body image and food and all that started in my teen years. And I think just growing up in a ballet environment, that sort of thing is so ingrained and it's really toxic, but, but it's, it's so normalized. And I think I never received any like negative comments about my body. It was just kind of listening to what, how my teachers were talking to other people and seeing how they would react and having empathy for that sort of thing and just not wanting it to happen. Like knowing that if I were to receive a comment about my body, it would absolutely ruin my self-esteem. So just like, um, yeah, I think it was just like taking in everything that was happening around me, not so much what was being directed at me. Um, but yeah, so the, the toxic body image stuff in the dance world, as well as toxic body image stuff in the Filipino culture. You know how in Filipino culture, it's, it's just so normalized to talk about other people's bodies and like comment if someone has gained weight 
And like, yeah, no, like really the chismis, the yeah, gossip. No really sees- yeah, like every time I would come back uh, for like Christmas break or summer break here, that was one thing I really dreaded was like being told, oh, you gained weight. Oh, because it's, it's just so normal here. and People don't really think about it. And I think the conversation is now shifting, which is awesome. But back in, back in the day, it, it was really just like such a normal thing to talk about other people's bodies. So both like dance culture and Filipino culture <laughs> kind of compounded on each other in that sense. And then, and again, I didn't really see it as a problem growing up, but I knew that it was just something I never wanted to happen to me. So I just like took all the measures I could to like never gain weight and never like, you know, receive negativity from my teachers. And then going to the U.S. where I, when I hadn't resolved any of those issues at all. Yeah, I think like this, the experience of like being a Filipino person in like predominantly white culture was just another thing on top of that where like, you know, when you're like a small fish in a small pond and then you go into like the big pond. Like I was definitely, like, I thought I was hot shit going to <laughs> New York because I was like and then hot you, shit here. And then you and got then thrown like, into oh. the ocean. <laughs> Yeah, I was like, oh, I'm really not. Like, there's like, so many amazing dancers here, and I'm just, like, nowhere on their level. And so that was just another thing that completely rocked my self-esteem. And also just, like, not having that background in contemporary, like, it really just felt like I was being thrown into a completely new world on so many fronts. Wow. Yeah, I really appreciate that you are open to sharing all of that because... I am sure a lot of people who are hearing this have also felt that way. I know for myself, in a similar but different way, there's definitely a pressure in those two, the Filipino culture and then this like New York dance culture of you have to be good looking. <laughs> it's just like it's just that's kind of how it is. If you if your body is your instrument, if you are using social media, all of this stuff, and you are a teacher, choreographer, somebody who's in this art space, it's it's tough because it's not you feel like it's not just about the quality of your art of, of what you're doing. It's also the aesthetic of how you present yourself, how you look. And then with family, it's that almost like a oxymoron where, you know, there is this culture of food being a love language and you're like, oh, you're not eating enough. Like, how come you're not finishing this food that I'm giving you at this party? And then also at the same time, we'll critique your body. Or for me, it would be like a masculine type of stereotype where oh are you not lifting weights anymore your arms Mm -hmm. are getting thin or you're getting too thin are you only dancing are you not doing weights or this type of like not being enough mentality that gets told Mm -hmm. to you from different people rather than you know which I think is the amazing thing about yoga is it gives you that opportunity for self-study which is one of the core values of going into yourself and seeing no you actually are worthy in whatever shape or way that you're presenting yourself today because you are inherently of worth yes yeah and that's like one thing that I only really started to know for sure when I started practicing yoga was that my body is so much more than what it looks like and just the opportunity when you're on your mat and in that space to observe the way your body feels rather than what it looks like. And it is just like an unfortunate reality of the dance world that it is like an aesthetic art and the way you look is important. And I think that's just something that we're never going to be able to run away from, you know, yeah. but yeah, in, when you're on your mat in your yoga space, you have this opportunity to not focus on what your body looks like. And I think that was such a game changer for me. Yeah. Or even I think, which is a movement that I believe people are shifting towards is the idea of being healthy rather than the aesthetic of looking good. Mm -hmm. And I think people are seeing the value of knowing for yourself about feeling healthy about yourself. Like, am I able to do these movements and maybe I'm going to train so that my body can feel healthy, not so that I have these abs or whatever that I can post and show to the world type of thing where, yeah. And I think, I don't know, maybe if it's the same with 
for your experience, but it can be very dangerous. I feel like social media can be dangerous for an artist because it's easy already in the nature of our work and needing grants and needing people to take our classes and all of that, where you can become very intertwined with the need of an external validation that, yeah, if you lose yourself to that, then it's hard to get back to yourself from there. Oh, yeah. And I think just social media is just such a breeding ground for comparison, which is already something that I think as dancers we're so susceptible to, just to comparing ourselves to the person standing next to us. And then social media only exacerbates that, you know? Yeah. How has been how has your relationship with social media been these days? It's been it's been okay. I think I, I definitely need to take days where I like just don't deal with it. You know, I I started like a separate Instagram account for like my movement stuff and my teaching stuff. And it's it's been like slow going. I think in general, like my relationship to social media is very like like I don't I don't understand it. <laughs> I don't understand it. And I feel I feel so much like a phony trying to to use it in such a way to like build a platform where I'm like trying to sell myself. I mean that's essentially what we're trying to do, right? Yeah. Like, we're trying to sell ourselves but as, as like dancers like we are the product we're selling right rather than for, for example if you're a photographer like you you're what, what you post can be separate from you like you never have to post a photo of yourself or like a video of yourself in order to like sell your photography but as like a dancer and as a teacher like you you are the thing that you're trying to sell people right so it's, it's 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 weird I think social media is very weird but it's also very necessary in this modern world so I'm still trying to like navigate that like not feeling like a phony for trying to do it yeah I mean not that you need my validation because <laughs> we just <laughs> talked about it but I yeah I see the authenticity in your voice uh in your artistic voice on social media so you know I hope whoever's listening to this also is able to to see that and well thank you yeah <laughs> I appreciate that. That, definitely, that definitely yeah not that I need your validation like I, I I do know that I I do know that what I am sharing and what I'm trying to share is coming from a very honest place and I I know that I have like things that I that I can share I, I have like the experience and the knowledge but it's I think it's it's like this imposter syndrome thing yeah can you talk a little bit more about that? Like how how you would define imposter syndrome and how you're kind of navigating that currently? How I would define imposter syndrome is this idea that no matter how much time you've spent honing your craft, there will always be this voice inside of you that tells you like, what makes you as knowledgeable as like someone else or like, what, what do you really have to share that hasn't already been said yet? Like no matter how much time and energy and how much passion and love you have for what you do, the idea that like, you don't know enough and you'll never know enough <laughs> or that there will always be people out there who know more than you or who are better than you. And it's like, a, it's like an ongoing process trying to navigate that. And I think it's something that I, I will be navigating my entire life. I think it's also part of human nature, right? To, I mean, it's, it's the ego and ego is something that, that makes us strive to be better. So that's what keeps us going on one end, but it's also trying to like, to, to manage that and just know when you are enough and know, know, knowing that you are enough, like all the time, even though you're still learning and still growing and there, all, there will always be more to learn. Like you do know and you are worthy and you are good enough. So it's like those things can both be true. It doesn't have to be like one or the other. Yeah. I think that's a big one where you can, right, you can still be learning 
and you can have something of value. That's worth saying. And yeah. yeah the importance I, of like, and it doesn't have to be like, yeah, either or. Right. It can be a yes. And for my improv yes. people listening. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> um, yeah. And I wonder what's calling you most these days and what's making you feel most embodied because you do have a very wide range of, of movement understanding and yeah. Where is the, the value of discernment taking you these days and in what direction to, to focus on? Well, so until very recently during the lockdown, I wasn't feel called at all to like do choreography or make choreography. I was really drawn to just like improving and seeing like what shows up when I do choose to just, you know, step onto the floor and like move. So that's been really interesting to me. But now I am feeling called to like to do choreography again. And also I, I really want to do more hip hop. Like I, 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 I think yes. six months of like take, <laughs> taking videos of myself and, and, and like watching those videos back. Like I want to get better at like isolation and, and control and like moving in different ways and just like, yeah, adding more tools to my toolbox really. Like I, like something I, I realized was my arms don't really like get involved when I'm moving. They're kind of just like there. Like I focus more on my lower body. So I want to, more with my arms and just like have more movements in my arsenal. So I, I want to do more like hip hop classes and like just, I guess, dive into the unknown and put myself in, in like a beginner's seat again, and just mm. be a student. Yeah. It's really important to try to keep that learner beginner mindset where you can. And it, it's also humbling to know that there is yeah. still more to learn that, even a, a master. And usually it's the people who are proficient who will take a beginner's class because they know that there's always something more to learn. I feel like, especially during this time for myself, I, I didn't really feel embodied or called to do dance either. And I really focused more on the meditation and shorter asana practices to, and free movement like daloy practices to to get that embodiment back and, and now i'm kind of where you are feeling called to to share or to dance i don't know if i'm ready to fully choreograph yet but i'm feeling the call to perform for a cause like i think yeah for me the calling is the this idea of art as activism or art having a message to connect, whether it's to Philippine X folks or mm-hmm. for, you know, the liberation of other groups. And yeah, I, and oh, and relating it back to hip hop, I feel like I'm a beginner again because they're even somebody who, you know, maybe like myself has had some history um in that style there's so much that has changed now where there's a there's a calling for a historical understanding of it with, mm, and yeah. there's a there's a difference in not relying on a studio setting not relying on mirrors and not relying on a team that it's asking what is your voice in this movement in the relation to the social movements that this that this movement practice came from and there's always more to make you understand that it's important to have that learner mindset yeah and i think especially as teachers too it's it's important to all, to to continue being a student like I feel that very easily when I'm not taking class enough and I'm when I'm not like being a student enough. I feel very I feel very quickly empty. Like my, my tank is empty. And I was definitely feeling that way before the pandemic, where I was just like teaching, 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 and like not having enough time to immerse myself in my own voice and my own movement and like being a student. So I'm actually very grateful for what this time has offered me. It's just this, this opportunity to 
to, to, to step back from like the teaching role and be a student again and learn. I, I think it's just been so enriching. And so after like six months of really doing that, like now I feel ready to share. I wonder what you envision or maybe what is the reimagining that you might have for the yoga and dance communities, either in Manila or in general, as all of these shifts have really kind of shaken the core of, of what we thought these industries would look like. So here in Manila, it doesn't look like live performances are going to be happening anytime soon. So like, it, it seems like in New York, there, there is like live performance happening. Yeah. Uh, like in there the outdoor are space. Outdoor, there are some parks and some different venues that are supporting artists performing live, usually like what you said, oh, pre-recorded so cool. and then streamed with a live talkback type of thing. Oh, okay, so, but but there, but there are live performances going on, right? There are some too. Scale. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Which is awesome, but yeah, that, that's that that's not happening <laughs> anytime soon. So I think dance on film is going to be a very big thing in the next year. There's actually um, a yeah a, a dance on film festival happening here right now called Fifth, Fifth Wall Festival, and so. There, yeah, it actually started yesterday, so I, I need to like get on that and like watch everything that's been that, that's 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 on there. But that, that's what I see in the foreseeable future for the dance industry here in Manila. Is like film dance on film is going to be very big um, in the next year or so. And as same thing with similarly similarly to yoga, it doesn't seem like in-person classes are going to be, are going to come back for a while. Like gyms aren't even open here yet. Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah, They're right now they're 30% capacity here. Yeah. Here it's, they're not even open yet. So, I mean, I, I, I do, it, it's hard to predict because it's such an ever changing landscape. Uh, but that's for, for, for now, that's what I, what I perceive to be the case because yeah, I think even when things start to open up again, I don't think people will be comfortable going back into it right away, especially because the pandemic isn't really being handled in a very <laughs> um, proficient way. And so many people aren't uh, trust trustful of the way it's being handled. So yeah, I think it'll be a while for in-person things to happen again, both in the dance world and in the yoga world. So I think like the online platform and like video is really going to be the way forward. Yeah, I agree here as well. Even though things have opened up, I know for myself, well, in New York, there was a a mass exodus. A lot of people left during the summer, even though, you know, things were- Did they come back yet or no? No, I mean- some people have, but some, a lot of people gave up their leases because their work is remote now and living in the city is not the same opportunity cost as it was yeah. before. So a lot of people just went to wherever their families are from. I know that's a lot of my friends who aren't um, born and raised in New York went back to their hometown. So yeah, I foresee it to be a similar here even though gyms are reopened 30% now, you never know. I mean, I don't know what it's going to look like and what the seasonality aspect is. And there is actually a yoga studio that I meant to try that's offering rooftop yoga, that's social distance. Yeah. Yeah, I have some friends who teach there. Oh, yeah. I really want to try because I have friends who we were in the same teacher training group and that's where they're, that's their reunion place where they get to mm. see each other and take and practice yoga together. Oh, but you I sure know. It's so nice to like practice with people. I, I think like outdoor, I feel, I feel pretty like comfortable in like outdoors situations. Yeah. Yeah. I'm starting to feel more comfortable with it. I just have gotten used to now having a home practice where 
I've set myself up. My living room is easily convertible to the home yeah. studio now. You just, you just like wake up and you go outside and there's your home studio. You can do it whenever you want. Yeah, home practice yeah. is the way. I, I think, yeah, I, I, I practiced at home pretty much always before the pandemic. Like I, I hardly ever took studio classes. So that transition for me into like a home practice really hasn't been that big of a deal. And even like working out, like I'm pretty, you know, some people, they, they thrive on that group energy. And so they prefer to be in like group classes. I'm the opposite. Like I'm very like self-directed. So for me, like I'm totally fine, like doing things on my own and like doing things at home. (laughs) Yeah. There's definitely a value to both. And I would have said in the past that I needed most of my Art, fitness is in a group setting, whether it's dance or yoga. And I get that energy from the community aspect. But yeah, there is something special about, and maybe it's once you become a teacher too, and you see it from a different lens of developing your your own voice as a teacher um, in relation to your practice. But it has been very comforting to have that to have that as a, as a grounding toolkit. And the metaphor I think of is like a a fire where I think in the Mm -hmm. past, especially when I was newer in my career, Yeah, you're like a new practitioner. Yeah. I felt like I needed to be like a wildfire. I needed to just like, Mm -hmm. everyone needs to see how, how hot I am and just like, ever, ever expanding type of thing. And then I think this moment is an opportunity for you to be a candle and for you to be really single, have a single pointed focus and have that internal Mm -hmm. confidence that your flame can withstand and sustain you. And yeah, that's the... That's the analogy. Yeah, if you want to use it in a dharma talk or something in a class. Yes, I'm definitely gonna. I'm definitely gonna steal. I'll credit you, but I'll. I'll Thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That I used it in uh, Marie, who is featured on an episode here too. We did a performance on the idea of fire, and it was uh, it was a meditation with a candle, and then and then an expanded movement thing. And yeah, I think the two imageries in my head during this time that have helped me is that that candle visualization and the tree visualization of really taking this time and and it being a time of rooting or re-rooting or or unrooting, (laughs) uh, whatever it's calling you these days. Like this is the time to plant a seed put it in the ground in like that dark unknown, because that's the kind of environment that we're in. And then just like cultivating it with your own practices or by surrounding yourself with people who will give you those nutrients so that, yeah, you can grow into this thing that can withstand um, and provide shelter for others. Yeah. Cause I think especially as performing artists too, that's such an important thing to remember at this time, because the, performing and being in front of an audience, that thing that really fuels our fire is gone at the moment. So we have to grow root somewhere else right now, you know? Yeah. So I think that's been really important to remember. Like that thing will come back. I, I think that's also an important thing to remember is that performing and being in front of an audience and being in performing space that will come back. Like this thing that we're in right now is temporary. So it's also trusting in that, even though it's just like, it feels like so long and it feels like forever and it feels like it's never going to end. It is temporary and we will get back to that eventually. But for now, in the time being, like where can you grow your roots? Grow different roots, right? Yeah. Yeah, or like your story, where can you plant seeds in your different journeys, whether it's Mm -hmm. your in New York or in Manila and know that you have these different trees and different, you know, places places that you can, you can call home that can provide that shelter, that community Mm -hmm. for you. So, yeah, I think that's, that's a a nice one to think about. Um, I guess 
the other thing I'm thinking on while before we start to wrap things up is this idea of things changing and a letting go of some of the structures that we've had um, in the past. And one of the things I'm thinking about is this whole, I mean, we'll see at the time when this is released, if it's still happening, but this idea of, of call out culture and how there are things that people are starting to bring to the light, like from the, from the underground, bringing it to the light and, and potentially letting it go. And I wonder how, yeah, your thoughts about it. I know, especially in, well, for me, I've experienced the, it in the hip hop dance world specifically um, with the way that, you know, certain terms are used in dance and certain people figures may be appropriating or exploiting um that style there was a conversation early in the pandemic about the term urban I, yes I that. <laughs> yeah that could be a whole episode in itself but oh my gosh. the I mean, takeaway is not yeah. don't use that term anymore yeah <laughs> we can talk yeah, about that like, yeah. yeah being being an outsider to that community I really didn't have very much to say, but it, but it is interesting because that is a term that's been around for a while and it's something that hasn't been questioned at all until very recently. And, and it, it's hard when something is established to to go through that process of like finding a better replacement. Yeah, but it is also important. Un- unlearning. I, I guess like the idea of like unlearning is always so challenging. Yeah, or, and I, I would add to the, yeah, the relearning aspect of, Maybe just bring then a curiosity to ask yourself, why? Why was that term? What is the history of using that term in the first place? Yeah. And has that use of the term erasure for other people or, yeah, yeah or. Yeah, because, it's, because it's only being brought to light now, but I'm sure that there were always people who questioned it, but their voices just weren't being heard or listened to. And so now those people are like, finally. <laughs> Yeah. And yeah, this is a this is a time for everyone to be heard, especially Mm -hmm. any group that might have been marginalized in their communities or silence. And yeah, for me, it's the other way around for yoga, where I'm newer to this practice in this community and have seen yeah, some of the reckoning. I mean, especially here in New York, because it is such a yoga mecca of what we consider western yeah. yoga modern western yoga mm-hmm. and there have been a lot of studios that are no longer open due due to yeah the, the reckoning that they face in the way this that they might have abused their their power yeah and i wonder if you have any thoughts around that yeah so obviously this is something that i feel very personally connected to right now because of the whole situation with yoga to the people um but that really needed to happen. You know, I think, um, yeah, now is, now is the time for reckoning. And I think because people have so much time to think and introspect, and especially since the studios are closed, I guess people saw it as an opportunity to really like, open up this conversation when they know, they know that people would listen. I feel, again, I feel that it was a very necessary thing. You know, I, I practice the yoga to the people for, three years before I became a teacher. And then I taught there for another three years. So I was a part of that community for six years, but my, basically my entire time I was in New York. And it, and it, and it is really challenging, I think, because my journey and, my, and yoga means so much to me. And so it's, it's a very challenging thing to know that simultaneously, like I was healing parts of me while at that place but at the same time there was all this other stuff that was happening there were other wounds that were being inflicted and opened and those those two ideas are so hard to reconcile even though I know deep down like the, the importance of and you know going back to, to that like both like there are multiple things that even though they're contradictory can be true at the same time but when it's so closely tied to, to your own personal experience that knowing it's really sad how in the yoga world and spiritual and wellness communities, it's this sort of thing is so rampant. I mean, this isn't the first time we've seen a uh, huge abuse of power. Yeah. I mean, just look at guru culture and 
and the way that that has been abused by every, basically every icon in modern yoga practices, every founder of each practice basically has had some type of scandal attached to abuse of power. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it is really hard. And I think it's hard because it's such a beautiful practice and it's something that when used in the right way can be just so profoundly healing, but it can be so easily used in the wrong way. In, in, in New York, I, I attended a workshop where the, the teacher said that the yoga is like a knife. It can be a tool used to hurt or heal depending on the, the brain that's wielding it. And that's so true that you have to know how to use the tool correctly. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise it can just be used for just destruction. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that also reminds me of going back to the the fire analogy of, yeah, fire can be used to burn or it can be used to provide warmth and, and life and heal. And mm-hmm. yeah, there's this thing of if you put too much of your, I'm using air quotes, your faith in a person or an institution rather than the the broader philosophy or teaching that that practice, whether it be spiritual or what have you is meant to show. Like I, you know, I believe that a lot of these practices like yoga and like other maybe physical or spiritual practices, they try to teach these underlying truths like Kapwa, like that we are all connected and, that there are these things that are bigger than us that we we should have some sense of gratitude for. And yeah, it, it gets trickier the more that you tie those things to people rather than, yeah, just like the, the practice itself. Yeah. Yeah, I think... Because there, there are so many like words and phrases in the yoga lexicon that can be so misconstrued. I mean, even this idea of like non-judgment, I think people use that sometimes as a way to not reckon with, with things like, Oh, don't be judgmental. And it's like, but discernment, Viveka is also a very important thing. You know, they're, they're different, but they're not separate, you know, discern, like that's what I always tell people when they, when they fall back on that. Oh, like what, what happened to non-judgment? Why are you being judgmental? It's like, there's a difference between being judgmental and being discerning. And I think everyone needs to, to be discerning, you know, how, how else would you know if you're making the right choice? And then there's also another thing like trust the process, which can also be like, uh, like, I think the idea behind that is so beautiful. Like just this, cause it, it comes back to surrender, right. Mm-hmm. Which is another important idea. Like surrender is important and like letting go of, the need to be in control. Those things are important, but it's also about trusting, practicing trusting your own intuition. Right? So not, it's, it's important to trust people around you and trust, trust the process and trust the universe, but it's all, you also have to, to trust yourself. Yeah. That's I, <laughs> that, that is the hardest part, especially with everything that we've been talking about because there are so many there's so many competing voices even in even in your own mind like what is the voice that is truly yours versus the one that your communities or parents or other people have told you is your voice so yeah I mean I think that's the reason why these practices are so liberating like the moksha Mm -hmm. like the these practices give you they stop the ever fluctuating states of your mind and they give you that stillness to start to awaken. So yeah, I hope that this time is a time of, of still, of stilling and awakening for, for the world, because it's definitely what it feels like. It's definitely what's needed. I think this idea of like stillness and learning how to stay in in one spot and just observe what, observe things from a single vantage point 
it's hard when everything is moving all the time and when you're moving all the time to, to see clearly. So stillness is very important in order to gain clarity. Yeah. And for anyone who might be called to some of the, to follow in a similar path that you have, whether it's with your yoga or dance practice, do you have any advice for um, someone who might be listening to this? I think trusting yourself is a big one for both like dance and yoga. I think as dancers, we're often taught to silence our voice and just like listen to whoever is in charge and just like follow directions. And, and that, that, that sort of thing is still so pervasive in the dance culture. And so as like a student, that's something that I would totally recommend people do. It's just like take the time to just listen to yourself and self-direct. Especially when you do have the time, like when you're not working, when you're, when you're just being a student, that's an important thing, I think, to practice when you, you, you are like in the space of learning is to, to really trust yourself. Um, I think another thing is to leave room for play. That's been an important one for me. I'm such a serious person and I take everything so seriously. <laughs> but you have the awareness that you are a serious person. So then yeah. that means that you're also acknowledging space for play eventually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah but yeah it was like playfulness is something that like I personally have to take the time to practice like it doesn't come naturally naturally to me to like to play I'm always like everything has to be like work but that's where a lot of like your own curiosities and vocabularies and your voice comes out is when you take the time to just like see what shows up for you and I think also if you ever feel like you need a break, take a break. Whether that break is like for a day or for a week or four years, <laughs> in my case, it's four years that I took a break from dancing. But um, yeah, whenever you feel like you need to take a break, take a break and don't feel bad about that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, rest is revolutionary. <laughs> And I think that dancers are so bad at resting. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think people who move for a living, like we're so, we're so bad at resting and just being still and taking time off. And, and like we, there's, there's this, this feeling of like, oh, if I take time off, I'm going to regress. Or it's not giving me anything of value. Like I have to just keep, keep moving and keep pushing. And that, that sort of thing is also like compounded by the capitalism and this like hustle culture, right? Yeah perfectionism all of that yeah so like taking the time to just like not do that thing like doing versus being there, there has to be room for both yeah and we like to end the conversation with three questions that we ask each of our guests so whatever comes to mind that is the the thing to to go with Okay. The, <laughs> Don't think too hard. Yes. Don't overthink it. <laughs> the first one is, what is your favorite Filipino word? What is it and why does it have a special meaning for you? Killing. <laughs> oh. How would, actually, I believe somebody, somebody has also used that word. How would, oh. how do you define it? That's funny. It's, so one of the reasons why it's my favorite word is because it's so hard to define in English, but it's, it's this, how do you even explain it? It's the feeling like when you're, when you're excited or you're in love and it's, it's that like that fluttery feeling that you get. Yeah. It's like the butterflies in your stomach. Yeah. yeah. I love that. I think the other way I've heard it is the, the feeling of, of goosebumps like when you get when you get goosebumps because of you know somebody that you're in love with or because of the because of love yeah yeah mm -hmm. that's nice and the other one the second one is how is kapwa showing up in your life these days kapwa showing up for me in the sense that i think that because of all of the work that i've 
all of like the inner and like self-work that I've done over the last few years, it's really helped me in being able to like handle this pandemic and in, in a, in a way that's like healthy and constructive. And I think a lot of people are struggling with that right now. Um, and if, if this had happened like 10 years ago, I would not be like in a good place, I think. So I, I think that it's a testament to everything I've been working towards the last like seven or eight years that I am in this space where I, I feel like I have the tools to make this a time of uh, growth and productivity rather than being um, in despair about everything. So that's what I feel compelled to share with people right now through my work is um, just like taking care of yourself and you know, being able to shift your perspective and having the openness to, as we talked about earlier, like unroot, reroot. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And we've mentioned a lot um, already, but the last one is what is the biggest lesson that you're learning these days? Biggest lesson I'm learning these days is just surrendering you know there's so much that's out of our control right now and we're only going to drive ourselves crazy by trying to control the actions of others and what's happening in the world and so just focus your energy on what you can control which is like your own happiness and what are you getting from this time like you're you're totally in control of that um and also just like yeah, surrendering to what's going on and just trusting that it will pass. Mm. Eventually, it might not be tomorrow or even like next year, but it will pass. And I, I truly believe that we will be better coming out of this. I truly believe that. If not, if only for my own like sanity. <laughs> yeah, I believe that too. I think there are people are, there's a movement of people who are using this time wisely, yeah, to to reimagine a lot of things mm-hmm. that needed to to change, yeah, yeah. Mm. And if anyone is interested in connecting with you further after hearing this, how can people be in contact with you? I am on Instagram. Should I should I use my professional account? Yeah, I'll use my professional account. So my, <laughs> my Instagram handle for my professional account is Move with Chloe. Um, my personal account is also Chloe MC Alcid. If you want to follow me there, I'm also on Facebook, although I don't use it much. And I'm I'm hoping to start offering online classes soon, both for dance and yoga like on my own platform. So if, yeah. I will be obviously promoting all of that on my on my social media account. So stay tuned if you want to practice with me. Yes. <laughs> and yeah, I just want to I'll give a, a really big thank you for coming onto the show and sharing your story and especially those parts that have been a little more maybe tender or vulnerable. Um, it's really been a pleasure having you on the show and being in conversation with you. Thank you so much for having me. I hope this only leads to like more future uh, collaborations and work together. I hope to meet you in person one day when I go to New York. Yes. <laughs> one day we'll do some kind of, of duet collab, whether it's yoga, yes. dance, or maybe both. And that was today's episode. Thank you so much to Chloe for joining the conversation. All the info mentioned for her Instagram will be included in the show notes. If you like what you heard, feel called to connect further, subscribe, leave a five-star review for the podcast, and follow us on Instagram at kapwa.yoga. We host an IG Live the week after the episode is released, and it's a great way for you to be involved in the conversation with us. We also just recently joined Clubhouse, an audio-based social platform You can connect with us there at Kapwa Convos with a K and be in conversation. This podcast is a part of Kapwa Yoga, a movement and mindfulness practice that integrates my background in dance, 
yoga, and organizational psychology. You can check out our website, www.kapwa.yoga, to find out more about our services. A special thank you to Wes for the theme song and episode production. You can find him on Instagram at ugarias.xyz. Thank you for listening. Maraming salamat and catch you in the next conversation.